Bienvenidos a Radio Menea. I'm Miriam Suela Perez. And I'm Vero Valletti Flores, and we're two Latinx friends with wildly different music tastes. And each week we bring you music from the Latinx artists that we love, and this week we've got part two of a episode about Latin booms. Yeah, so uh, as we were talking about last week, so if you haven't listened to last week's episode, just put this on pause, listen, listen to last week's episode, and come back here, because we are talking about this phenomenon of... The Latin boom, which is when the when like Latin rhythms enter the fray of the United States mainstream mm-hmm. and everything that that means in terms of like race and racialization and the exoticness of Latinx people and, you know, all these things. Mm-hmm. So um, go back, listen to that one. Come back here. Last time we talked about the mambo craze of the mm-hmm. 1940s and 50s. And this sort of in-between moment where there were a lot of blips of Latinx culture entering the mainstream, Mm -hmm. sound entering the mainstream. And we have a couple of other booms this week. All right. So it's the 90s. Um, I want to talk about what we were wearing, but I can't remember in this moment. Um. (laughs) (laughs) We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. But just to set yourself in place... It's 1999, Ricky Martin is putting on his leather pants and getting ready to perform at the mainstream Gringo Grammy Awards, (laughs) (laughs) and he performs The Cup of Life to a standing ovation. Let's take a listen to this song. moment man mm-hmm. you know what, what were you wearing in 1999 oh, god okay so 99 i was in college no 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 no. i wasn't in college i was in high school um so i was probably wearing uh regrettably and embarrassingly like clothing from abercrombie and fitch mm, wow i grew wow, up in like a suburban wearing that suburban college town and was really trying to assimilate and fit in mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i was definitely wearing like flared jeans I was wearing a lot of Contempo Casuals or Wet Steel. I don't know when that transition happened. Contempo Casuals, yes. (laughs) You know, those mall looks, slutty mall looks. Yeah. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> That's we, definitely what I was wearing. Didn't I think when we did our 1998 episode, didn't we put out a picture of both of us in 1998? I feel like I'm having a visual oh my God. of you wearing flared jeans. But oh my god, I uh, let's maybe do that again. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was there was a lot going on for me in high school. Um, I definitely wasn't watching the Grammys. Did you watch these Grammys? Do you remember? I did watch these Grammys, I think. Or at least I remember seeing the performance recorded later. It was like the equivalent of viral at the time. You know what I mean? Like it made a huge, huge mark. And um, it started what would become like a huge obsession with Ricky Martin and Latin rhythms and people (laughs) in general in the U.S. mainstream at the time. But I think I remember watching because Ricky Martin... At the time, for anybody who grew up in Latin America, like I did, was already a superstar, right? He was like simply a huge pop star and had been for a very long time, mm-hmm. right? He was like in one of the menudos, right? Like mm-hmm. he's like been famous since he was 14. Right. And right. in like 95, a few years before this, he like sort of like was in like the mega star Uh, category with this like phenomenally huge song called Maria and like they after that I think decided to like see if he could become a crossover artist record an album in English and um they sort of launched him with this song that was the theme song for the 1998 World Cup so it had already had some sort of global pull elsewhere outside of the United States because the thing is that the rest of the world is cool with songs in Spanish because the rest of the world is cool with songs that aren't in their language. They're used right. to like, you know, songs not in their language because the U.S. is culturally hegemonic and mm-hmm. everything that happens here like goes everywhere and lots of people are used to not understanding lyrics of right. songs. Right. So if right. you're French, you're used to understanding, not understanding English language songs and so it's not that big of a difference to like or you know English listen to a Spanish have song. Have real bilingual education in your schools. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, that's possible too. But I think that like another thing, a thing that feels true to me is that people are used to, people outside of the English language world are used to not understanding song lyrics. So mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter what language you don't understand in, you know? Right. Um, sure. I think that there's a lot more tolerance for different linguistic, <laughs> you know, yeah. culture yeah. Um, everywhere else. I think that, so that um, song was big yeah. everywhere else. Right. I think the World Cup, to go back for a second, I feel like the World Cup like theme song is an interesting like musical moment. So because, interesting. Like the World Cup is not very big in the US because soccer is not is not like a dominant sport mm-hmm. in the US the way mm-hmm. it is in most of the rest of the world, I think. Yeah. Um and yeah. so but like we've seen a number of different moments where like um kind of like US based Latin pop stars do the World Cup song. And it feels like it's like a little bit of like a bridge moment between what's happening like here who in the else US. Is a US. Like J Lo did one. Did J Lo do one? Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which one did J Lo do? More recently than this one. Oh, I remember Shakira doing one. I remember Maluma doing one. It's interesting. J Lo does not seem like a World Cup song material. She did it with <laughs> Pitbull. She did it with, with Pitbull. Wow. With Pitbull, Pitbull. in 2014. Okay. 
Pitbull seems more World Cup-y to me for some reason. I don't know what... It's, I'm just basing this on vibes, but it's, yeah. it's yeah. just based on vibes. <laughs> That's fair. But anyway, yeah, I think it's an interesting thing because it's not... I don't know. Yeah, like I'm not very connected to the World Cup. I don't feel like the World Cup is particularly important cultural phenomenon in the U.S., but then there's this bridge to like the artists that are that might be big here, kind of that having a moment. And then that song can come into our like cultural like this moment right even though like a lot of people aren't watching the world cup like he performed the theme song to the world cup at the grammys you know like i just think it's interesting yeah i mean so i also grew up the world cup was very important to me and i still like watch it and you know like lose my mind when i'm watching the games and stuff so um i definitely was you know i ricky martin was already a star like i was paying attention to the world cup i knew the world cup song um, and so I think that that's why I was like, oh, wow, Ricky Martin's at like the Gringo Grammys, <laughs> you know, right. like I think at the time there wasn't Latin Grammys. I think it was only Gringo Grammys. Yeah. 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 Um, I but I was like, wow, he's on this like American awards show. That's interesting. Um, so, um, it, and that really just like, it was, yeah, it became like this viral moment and, um, it launched his career because, He'd already been um, writing, like he'd already been like picked by Tommy Mottola um, from Sony to be a crossover artist and started writing this album in English. And they like went and wrote him a rock song called <laughs> Living La Vida Loca. So um, tell us who's Tommy Mottola. I'm not familiar with that name. So Tommy Mottola was the head of Sony Music Entertainment and he mm-hmm. sort of went on to like launch other Latin acts. So he, um, what, you know, like decided on like Ricky as a crossover artist and was married to Mariah Carey for a little bit. He's currently married to Thalia and, <laughs> you know, he would go on to launch other Latin acts to profit off this like really sudden wave of interest in Latino music. And mm-hmm. one of which was JLo and, this is sort of the source of the iconic, legendary, infamous, historic Mimi J-Lo beef, right? Is this <laughs> J-Lo, Mimi-like relationship in t- with Tommy Mottola. Um, oh, so I, I knew they had beef, they, but I didn't know what it was about. Oh, yeah. The source of it is a man, obviously. Of course. <laughs> like, just making trouble everywhere they go. But, um, yeah, so it was, I think that, like... Mariah saw J-Lo as, like, Tommy Mottola's new little pet or whatever, which maybe she was. Um, And so um, I think felt threatened by it and started, you know, this is where this all sort of got started. Because she was married to him for a little bit, Mariah. She was. She was. Now he's married to Thalia. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Interesting. So interestingly, he's Italian-American and I think, it, I don't know, this is just a hypothesis, but like the, uh, so one of the Fania um, founders was also Italian American. And so it's like, it makes me think back to like our New York City episode and sort of like this sort of mixing of different immigrant communities um, mm. and the ways in which like, you know, it's like these Italian businessmen basically who are then yeah. um, really like making a name for themselves via like Latin music. So yeah. I mean, like, I would say that Tommy Mottola made a name himself for himself in pop music generally, and then sort of like launched these Latin acts right. um, as part Maybe of like his career. But he was like the music 
like he was like a really really big executive in Sony Entertainment, largely, right? right? But but right. yeah, I think that that's totally like that's such an interesting observation. Yeah, and like clearly he saw an opportunity that you know he made a yeah. gamble that paid off, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely for sure. And I mean, so what they did for Ricky was that they wrote him this like essentially was like sort of like a rock song, this pop rock song, but it had those horns, mm-hmm. right? Those horns that like screamed like this is a, <laughs> this is like exotic, right? Like this is like a Latin artist, think salsa, think, you know, tropical soundscapes. Um, and apparently Tommy Mottola hated the song. He didn't think it was oh. a hit, but they, <laughs> they somehow went with it anyway. Um, and, but like after that Grammy performance, Living La Vida Loca debuted at number one and stayed there for a while. Wow. And I think it was like sort of this explosive beginning to what Time Magazine would later name as, um, the Latin explosion. Living La Vida Loca is like such a dumb song, but it was so popular. It was so popular. Yeah. Yeah, it was really, really popular for, yeah, it was like number one for a long time. It dominated everything. And what's interesting is that like Mark Anthony at this time had also been recording an English language album and Mm. Ricky sort of beat him to it. But, um, you know, he like had um, like shortly after like Ricky's debut, like he had his own like set of English language hits. You remember like that song, like I need to know. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, he like also like recorded with JLo later, which, you know, would be like sort of like the beginning of his romance, even though he was already married to like, you know, a whole other person (laughs) um, at the time um, as Mark Anthony has historically done. (laughs) Lots of overlap in his relationships. Yeah. 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 I think um, the, the thing about leaving La Vida Loca, like, I love a Spanglish moment, but that feels so fake. Like, the way that that, more. even just the title. Because it just doesn't sound... Oh, like it, the, the Spanglish feels Yeah, like the Spanglish fake feels fake. I agree. Yeah. It's like some, like, English-speaking people were like, let's throw some Spanish in there, you know? Right, like it, yes. It's not like this Nobody is how we talk. Nobody who actually engages in the use of Spanglish would say that. <laughs> yeah, living la vida. I mean, it's just dumb, Correct. right? So, yeah, it just it, it feels fake, whereas, like, there's so much good Spanglish. I mean, we have a Spanglish, whole Spanglish episode. There's so much good Spanglish in, like, Latinx music. But, yeah, it's much more clever than that and also feels more purposeful you know so yeah yeah totally I mean this was like a package they were selling something right like they made it sort of pop rock to appeal to an American audience they added tropical horns to sort of make it seem exotic and like you're getting something like wild right and like the crazy life the crazy life yeah and then like La Vida Loca are like all like vaguely words that probably English language speakers have some Mm. sort of understanding Mm -hmm. of, right? Mm -hmm. So it is, it's very, it's, I think it seems very marketed and very like constructed Mm -hmm. because it really was, I think. Yeah. No, it it seems very clear that it was. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember hearing that song? I mean, everybody, it was everywhere. Right, right. And yeah, I mean, it sort of like catapulted all of these like artists who like were out there or maybe um, <coughs> were now motivated to be a part of this like hype, right? This hype right. around um, around Latin rhythms and Latin right. culture. Right. And so like J-Lo, I think, 
Um, we know when JLo came out, um, you know, Tommy Mottola was like, yes, go in this direction. This makes sense. Right. And at the time, Big Pun was already making waves in hip, in the hip hop scene. So like sort of outside of this, but like JLo sort of hopped on board with like Pun's legacy to give her cred. Um, you know, that, like I said, like Mark Anthony at the time was, um, was starting to pop off in English for the first time. And it's so interesting because I was watching this interview with him and, um, he was being asked about this like sort of categorization around the Latin explosion where Time Magazine sort of like named it as a phenomenon. And, you know, he was really calling it out as like what it is, which is a really odd categorization, right? Because you have like all these different types of artists, right? Like if you think of like Ricky Martin, if you think of JLo, if you think of um, Mark Anthony, they're all so different, right? Like their music doesn't necessarily really gel with each other. Their music isn't particularly representative of Latin rhythms, right? Like it's influenced by it, surely, but it's not right. representative. Um, and moreover, most of whom like were like actually literally American, like born in New York City. Mark Anthony was from Harlem. JLo's from the Bronx, right? Ricky's Puerto Rican, which like it's not quite the same, but you know, technically, in technical terms, um, American and American citizen. And so, like, Mark Anthony spoke about, like, his displeasure with this, like, situation of being all lumped in together and Mm -hmm. how it made him feel like they were, like, calling him and his colleagues that really he didn't have that much in common with other than, like, his ethnicity, um, like, being lumped in with, like, invaders, right? Like, we're just, like, invading this. And he's like, I'm an American, bruh. Like, (laughs) I'm from New York. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Did he use the word invaders or is that your... Language. I think he did use that word, yeah. Does that... Because I feel like that could also come off as some, like, anti-Mexican sentiment in that moment. Mm, interesting. Because, interesting. like, the, well, right? this is the 90s. You do have to NAFTA. think about the political context of the era, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, is he is he saying invaders in, like, a... use This is how you see these people? Or is he saying it, like, we're not, like, those immigrants, you know? Because I'm not an immigrant. I think that, to me, it read, like... um. You know, so we're talking about like 1999, 2000. It's been about five years since the North American Free Trade Agreement passed, right? NAFTA, that totally decimated local agriculture in Mexico. Like, and it caused this huge wave of migration to the United States. Um, and, you know, like everything that comes with huge migrations, which is like an audience, maybe, right? But also this like really intense anti-immigrant political backlash of a magnitude that I don't think we've yet recovered from. Mm -hmm. And I think when he said the word invaders, he like was sort of reacting to that backlash, right? I think he was like, rather than being, I'm not like them, like the way that I read it is like, we're part of this place. Like all of us are part of this place, right? And I think that to me, it felt more like a solidarity, yeah. Um like a like a solidarity move. Like I'm I'm just reading into that, right? Like yeah. he's not talking about this in particular, but like given the political context and the way that he said it, he's like this is like we're like our this culture is part of this place is mm-hmm. I think what he was trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's like the two sides of sort of this I mean we talk so much about the complication of like Latinidad as a concept and you know, there's like power in sort of like shared experience and like um, building a shared narrative and there's like belonging and there's things that happen that are good. And then there's also the flattening that happens. And there's mm-hmm. like the internalized sort of like, I'm, I'm not like them. I'm better than, I, mean, I feel like Cubans have like a pretty notorious. And I wonder if you see this in Venezuela 
Venezuelan community too of like we're not like those Latino you know like there's this like I'm not mm-hmm. Latino because I don't want to be associated with people um, at, from other countries or and there's often like a class and race dynamic to it so mm-hmm. um, no I don't, I don't really I, see I, that in yeah. Venezuelans no no um, yeah I mean I see it you know not in everybody it's not everybody obviously, but obviously right? but yeah this sort of like I'm Cuban I'm not Latino you know mm-hmm. like it's like this exceptionalism which may also be marked yeah. by like the particular context in which. Um, Cubans came to the U.S., but I think the other thing that's interesting, it's like you can see this, and we've talked about this before, it's like you can see this as like, okay, somebody is taking advantage of a moment to be like, I'm Latino too, you know, because it's like right. it's politically or or like in a business sense like beneficial to them in that moment. Like so, you know, I don't know, I haven't thought about this before, but like J-Lo, was that like an attempt to sort of like anglicize her name to make her more palatable, you know, by not being Lopez, just being J-Lo? Like that has like a no, different... No, she came out as Jennifer Lopez. J-Lo's okay. just a nickname. A nickname. It's not yeah. how but she so, was marketed. Right. So, you know, you can see it as opportunistic or you can see it as like finally somebody has an opportunity to be like authentic and like to like have all of the sort of who they are be part yeah. of their, yeah. be part of their shtick or be part of their music. And mm-hmm. um, now they have an opportunity to do that that they didn't have before because people said that there wasn't yeah. an audience for it's it. It's fuzzy you know? for sure. Yeah. There's not really any way to know. And I think it's probably both always, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, this was a wild time to be a new immigrant to the United States, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think there's ever a time that isn't wild to be a new immigrant? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. I know not, that you have a very like, personal experience. Why are y'all talking about mm-hmm. Ricky Martin like he's brand new? Why are y'all acting brand new? Like, why are you right. so brand new about Chakita, right? Like, this is also, like, shortly after this moment. Like, I think that Chakita's English crossover album came out in 2001, in the fall of 2001, which was, was like her English crossover moment. And, you know, like, as you know, Shakira was huge already in the Latin American market as sort of this like alt rock star. Right. And like was became this like English language pop star. She like went and dyed her hair blonde and like became a pop star in mm-hmm. English. <laughs> You know, Mm -hmm. and the architects of her career were were the Estefans, Mm -hmm. which I think is so interesting how like some of the previous Latin boom, like aspects of Latin boom moments come in to influence the other ones, you know, like Mm -hmm. the Estefans were a huge, you know, like were had their huge moment with the Miami sound machine in the 80s and 90s and um, then went on to become like huge, you know, music industry players mm-hmm. uh, with artists like, you know, Chakita. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, it's fascinating. It's not the last time we'll see that in, yeah, in this episode. Definitely not. And I think the immigrant... The immigrant context is really important for a couple of reasons. One, like, yeah, the anti-immigrant sentiment of that era. I mean, this was, like, Mm -hmm. one of the largest waves of migration from Mexico and Central America. That was the moment when, like, where I grew up all of a sudden became not just a black and white context, but a black, white, and Latino context. Like, it changed the landscape of, like, many, many places in the country. And I think maybe new places, you know, like New York city had already been changed. Miami had already been changed. LA, you know, all these places have already had these like legacies, but North Carolina did not have an, a Mm. large immigrant population from anywhere in Latin America until this, this moment. Um, and they come to lot, people came to Latin America. I mean, people came to North Carolina because of jobs in agriculture and construction. And so, um, I think that, you know, a lot of the American South like experienced a whole new kind of 
mm-hmm. population coming to that area for economic opportunity because of NAFTA. And so, yeah, of course, that breeds a lot of um, anti-immigrant sentiment. But it also, like, um, you know, when we when we look at the, like, Billboard 100, which we've talked about in this context, like, it's it's a demographic shift. Like, the kids, yeah. you know, the, the children of the people who came in the 90s are now, um, you know, the people in their 20s, right, who are, who are an audience for Latin music. And so... It you know there's a whole moment where all of a sudden there's way more songs on the Billboard Top 100 that are Latin artists and it's not because white Americans are listening to them it's because Latinos in the U S are listening to them and they're you know and right. we know and we can tell the of that difference yeah because they're not making it to the top like they're at the bottom of the top 100 but they're at the they're in the top 100 at all um, and mm-hmm. then so many more like post 2000 than pre 2000 um, and then I looked it up and it's yeah it's 2000 was the first year they did a Latin Grammys. Um, wow. so, you know, yeah. it's like, there's a lot that's, that's shifting in these, in this time. And, mm-hmm. um, I think it's really interesting. Yeah. Super interesting. Super interesting. And, you know, like this then was, I think that the audience question that you're bringing up is also yeah. then when all these gringo stars start doing Spanish mm-hmm. versions of their songs, yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. Destiny's Child did all these Spanish versions of their songs, which were amazing. Mm-hmm. And Christina Aguilera, <laughs> even though she was Latina, I remember like seeing her name and I was like, who does this bitch think she is with her name? Like, yeah. why is she like out here pretending like she's not Latina? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, it was kind so of like she a, she marketed herself or something, yeah. Yeah, she like marketed herself way more along the lines of like Britney than like Shakira, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Even though like they all sort of look the same, like <laughs> fundamentally, True. like you know, whatever. Like True. it's not like they all look that different, you know. No, they all had dyed blonde hair. Um, yes, <laughs> and were lighter skinned or whatever. But like, yeah. so. Um, so yeah, so like Christina Aguilera did like Genie in a Bottle in Spanish, whatever. So that's just like an interesting moment. But then um, I think this era sort of like works its way sort of into reggaeton's commercial rise, which I would say was like a distinct, yeah, but not unrelated to this wave in the sense where like it, this wave softens the ground in terms of, like, you know, Latino pop culture being in the mainstream. Right. So, I mean, this is the question I asked you when you are working on this. It's like, because the sort of idea of a Latin boom is somewhat like an invention that you're using, right? Like, and it's not like we're the only people who ever talked about this, but, like, mm-hmm. this idea of, like, calling it a boom, does you feel like it needs to be, like, time-limited? Like, it doesn't have to be, like, it was, a you know, a couple of years or that there's some sort of, like... Because at this point now we're talking about you know, over a decade in one sort of like breath of like this. Yeah. Um, we're this talking boom. about like, you know, five, maybe eight years, right? Okay. Like I'm thinking particularly between the years like 2000 and 2005, right? Like okay. that's like a five okay. year span. Yeah. Um, and like, that's, I mean, that's another question, right? Like where are, like, are the, is there like a distinct end? Not really, but like you can see like a decrease in interest and like you can see like a peak, right? Mm-hmm. And the question that we will talk about when we're talking about like this current era is like, are we experiencing the decrease of like the Latin boom that we experienced most recently, like now, or are we like at the point where this is here to stay? That's always a question, right? Like with these sort of, you know, quote unquote booms. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But so I think, you know, like the year 2000 was like such a peak moment for this with, um, with Ricky Martin. Like I think like 2001 Shakira, you know, really came out. Um, so I think that like that was really, um, some of the peak, peak of that era. And then it starts to close out with, um, when reggaeton's commercial, um, come up. Right. happens right right which is sort of symbolized by gasolina by daddy yankee so why don't we take a listen to that timely right now <laughs> yes i just impact. posted a meme <laughs> too <laughs> mm-hmm. like i feel like it feels like a very niche meme because it's like a mean girls meme about gas prices mm-hmm. and daddy yankee and gasolina yeah i'm so sorry to anybody who drives right now my god it sounds horrible someone texted um, it to me though they were like that's hilarious so <laughs> you hit you hit on something um before we move on, I want to say also that like Ricky Martin, interestingly, like was not out right in this period of his like oh, rise no, to fandom. No, he was very straight. Yeah, he was he like came out in 2010. So he, yeah, and he, had, he even had like a beard, right? Did he even have a beard? Oh, like he had a, several. Yeah, so he was like you know fake dating these women. So anyway, just like put oh, a yeah. pin in that because I think it's really. Um, interesting to think about yeah yeah well i mean so when we're talking about um about these booms like so such a pivotal way of thinking of these booms is latinx people as exotic right and in the way that latinx people are racialized like sexuality is really part of that right and like Mm. this quote-unquote latin lover trope was definitely part of what ricky martin was selling Uh, right he can't be gay so it did not not work like a, to be gay. Yeah, he was like a beefcake. Yeah. I mean, it also wouldn't have worked to be gay because it was the year 2000. It was deeply uncool to be gay. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it was, you know, part of what he was selling was this like exotic Latin lover trope, which is right. s- such a part of what 
um, what these booms sell is like the Latinos as like a racialized exotic that's sort of whitewashed. Like, don't worry, they're not black. Like, we're not going to, we're going to pretend like Latinx people are never black. <laughs> we're going to sell you like the whitest possible yeah. Latinx people of all time, but we'll still racialize and we'll still call them exotic and we're still going to sell you them as like this like sexy package. Right. Right. Yeah. And it points to like the, the importance of female audiences too in like helping to um, spur on somebody's career. And so like definitely this idea that they have to be palatable as like a sexual object to be um, consumed, you know? So, but now we're, yeah. we're in the era of Caribe 2005, my favorite album <laughs> yes. of all time. <laughs> we're in reggaeton's commercial rise. I'm not going to give a full history of reggaeton's come no. up because first of all, we've talked about it a lot of times in different episodes, but also there's a whole series on its own called Loud. I hope y'all have all listened to it already. If you haven't listened to it, I feel like, I mean, I don't know. I would stop listening to us and listening to them, honestly. It's so, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, it's really it's it's, it's good. It's, I mean, it's Evie Queen's the host. We can't really compete with that. Yeah, also, like, yeah. they have, like, like, a budget a and, like, a whole team level. working on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So listen to that for, like, the full real history of Reggaeton's Come Up. It is so well done. Um, but um, the little bit that I will go into here is that, you know, it's so interesting that at the time, both Daddy Yankee and Tego Calderon were sort of at the top of the game, right, of, like, reggaeton in Puerto Rico. So, you know, both of them are from the Caserías in Puerto Rico. They're both really authentically from the scene. One of them is clearly black and incorporating elements of black pride into his interpretation of reggaeton, right? Mm-hmm. That's Tego. And the other one, Daddy Yankee, is light-skinned, definitely, definitely incorporating some political elements into his music, right? Like, especially around policing and criminalization um, that the reggaeton f- scene faced in Puerto Rico at the time with the Mano Dura anti-crime campaign that the government was really targeting reggaeton with, but he was a lot less political um, than Tego. And I think, like, at the end, like, Tego's politics really cost him, right? Like, when he was unwilling to take, like, big deals with sportswear brands because he was opposed to, like, their labor practices, like, Daddy Yankee was like, yeah, it's not a problem. Put my face on that shit, you know? (laughs) And that meant that, like... performed at the RNC. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that was much later. Uh, well... That was much... He didn't perform at the RNC. Was that the... Is it, it's no, a he didn't perform at the RNC. He just... He uh, endorsed John McCain. Oh, okay. <laughs> which okay. is okay. unfortunate, but I don't think that the RNC would invite Daddy Yankee. They're too racist to... They, you know, they weren't too racist to take his dumbass... Uh, <laughs> his dumbass... Um, endorsement at the time, but they would never invite him to play, I don't think. No, he did. He performed. He performed at it? He did. This is why he was our problematic fave. Oh, I thought it was just because he endorsed John McCain. Oh my God, that's so embarrassing. No, he performed. And remember there was a whole idea that he asked Obama to perform and Obama was like, no thanks. And so then he went to the RNC. Yeah, I mean, so my my tea that I have for my political people is that he asked Obama, he he said, I want to endorse you. I didn't know that this was like, I didn't. I don't recall anything about like performances at the conventions. I just remember about like endorsements. And I remember like that <laughs> he asked Obama's team and he was like, thank you, but no, thank you. <laughs> and so he's like, fuck you. I'm going to endorse John McCain, which, you know, hilarious. But well, yeah, I mean, like Daddy it's... Yankee had no problem putting his face on whatever yeah. the fuck would have meant mm-hmm. that his exposure would grow. And so like we have Daddy Yankee as the, you know, like 
face of reggaeton for a gringo audience, right? And like, yeah. though Tego de la Vallarde is widely considered a really foundational reggaeton classic among people who know about reggaeton, like for your average gringo consumer who like watched reggaeton enter the mainstream suddenly, like the name they knew was Daddy Yankee. Um, okay, I have to, to clarify just for anybody who's fact-checking this. So he performed at an RNC kickoff event that was and was a concert, and it looks like, this is according to Remescla, so he was, that's technically, I guess, performing at the RNC, but it wasn't, like, in the convention center. Okay, um, yeah. I and just, mostly like, have such a hard time locals. Republicans watching RNC. Oh, yeah, nobody, apparently, like, RNC. nobody showed up. Yeah, yeah. There was no signage for the RNC. There was no Picky McCain. And it was mostly local Latinos who were there for a free They're Yankee all concert. white racists. <laughs> it's nobody wants anything so to maybe do they were with like, Daddy yeah, Yankee. You can what come. a dumb move. <laughs> you can come, but we're going to like sideline you with this thing that no one's going to know about. You know? <laughs> and so we're going to put you on like the little stage before it starts. So, <laughs> I also wonder about his name. I mean, you know, if you listen to Loud and you definitely need to, like, he, this is not like a, a Balvin situation. Like, he's not like coming in outside of the no. community. No. Like he was part of the roots of reggaeton. He was like in the Casadillas. He was like, yeah. you know, and like, I don't know that, you know, he's definitely light skinned, but I don't know, you know, how he would be racialized in Puerto Rico, but he's not, it's not like that scenario. Right. But I do think it is important to think about like why, yeah. Why did he come to fame in a way that Tego didn't? And, um, and I also feel like the name, his name is so much more palatable. I mean, it's in English. Mm. You know, yeah. and Tego Calderon I mean, it's a great not. name. <laughs> yeah, it is a great name. And it was, and I don't think it was like a, I'm going to be palatable to Americans. It was like a name that came no, up no, in no. the scene in Puerto yeah. Rico. But I feel like that also has to be part of the story. It's like people are going to know his name, remember his name, be able to say it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so, I mean, I would say that like the commercial rise of reggaeton and like the non-Puerto Rico United States was sort of the tail end of this boom, don't yeah. you think? Like, no, think you know, so. like, even if you see, like, where, like, Gasolina charted, right? It was everywhere at the time. I remember it. Like, gringos knew what it was. But it wasn't anywhere near the top 10, right? Like, I think it was, like, in the 30s or something, right? Like, it pierced the mainstream consciousness. And I feel like it made, like, a large global it was like a large global hit too. Like the reggaeton was everywhere, like in Europe, you know? Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, I feel like it sort of was like th- it's commercialization and audiences being primed by the Latin boom, the pop Latin boom that came right before it. Um, I think primed audiences to be able to, 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 be like, okay, cool, yeah, we'll listen to this on our mainstream radio programs. Yeah. Yeah, and Gasolina, like, only peaked at 32 in the on the Billboard 100. So, like, you know, it got up there, but it wasn't, like, the hit that, you know, some other things had been. Like, La Bamba was number one. Macarena in 95 was number one. Oh, um, yeah, the Macarena. The Macarena yeah. was, like, before this Latin boom, but, yeah, like... 95. Yeah. But it's sort of, but yeah, I think it was just like this weird blip that like people, oh yeah. my God. I think the other I thing. Just, to, I have like PTSD when I think oh, about I know, that that's song. terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> um, I think the other thing you have to think about in this time, like at sort of as the nineties, like Latin explosion, ugh, it makes me think of like the British invasion, but imagine if they'd said like the Latin invasion, like that would have been even oh more my God. intense. <laughs> <laughs> but they said that about like the Beatles, right? That was like the British invasion. Um, yeah. 
but obviously it's not racialized when it's the British. Correct. It just um, shifts things a little. <laughs> yeah, a lot. But the other thing that we think about is like 2001, right? So there's 9-11, there's Bush, there's the war in Iraq, there's like growing anti, you know, I mean, the, I think the sentiment really obviously is targeted very much at um, Muslim communities and also like mm-hmm. people that people, ignorant people like just lump in with Muslim communities, including like, you know, folks from South Asian folks and whatnot. Um, so, you know, I don't think you can, it's not like a straight line, but I feel like there, there has to be something about that moment politically and culturally that's happening that may also be some contribute to sort of like a, a sort of dip in this moment of like focus or. Um, yeah. Less of a tolerance for yeah. any one who's like another really mm-hmm. like this is like a deep conservative Bush administration yeah. times. That motherfucker yeah. was elected twice. You yeah. know what I mean? It was yeah. eight years of George W. Bush. Yeah. All right. So why don't we move to the Despacito moment, shall we? Yep. Let's do it. I uh, regret to inform you that we're going to listen to the <laughs> Justin Bieber version. I haven't heard of it in a long Despacito time. Despacito yeah. with Luis Fonsi and Daddy Yankee. Let's take a listen. <laughs> Come and move that in my direction So thankful for that, it's such a blessing, yeah Turn every situation into heaven, yeah Oh, you are My sunrise on the darkest day Got me feeling some kind of way Make me want to savor every moment Slowly, slowly You fit me, tell me, love how you put it on Got the only key, know how to turn it on The way you nibble on my ear, the only words I wanna hear Baby, take it slow so we oh, can last long Tú, tú eres el imán y yo soy el metal Me voy acercando y voy armando el plan Solo con pensarlo se acelera el pulso Oh yeah, ya, ya me está gustando más de lo normal Todos mis sentidos van pidiendo más Esto hay que tomarlo sin ningún apuro Despacito Quiero respirar tu cuello despacito Deja que te diga cosas al oído Para que te acuerdes si no estás conmigo Despacito Quiero desnudarte a besos despacito Firmo en las paredes de tu laberinto Y hacer de tu cuerpo todo un manuscrito Regret to inform you that Justin Bieber is making an appearance. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really didn't want to do it, but we couldn't talk about it until we couldn't talk about this moment without this song and particularly that remix, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so this came out in 2017, and here we see so we have Daddy Yankee, who is from the previous boom, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, there had been this rise of pop reggaeton that was already in full swing in the Latine world. And it's sort of, this I feel like sort of launched it globally, right? So when this came out, we'd already seen the rise of like the Medellin sound happening since like 2015, 2016, Mm -hmm. um, more globally, right? Like Colombian artists like J Balvin and Maluma took like their city's obsession with reggaeton and started working with producers like Sky Rompiendo on this like new sort of more pared down reggaeton sound that was like still recognizable as reggaeton, but sort of 
pared down to some of its very um, basic elements. And I love to nerd out on production. And there's a segment on the Medellin episode of Loud where they compare the beats of like what emerged in Puerto Rico initially in the late mm-hmm. 90s and early 2000s and what began to emerge in Medellin like 10 or 15 years later, like in terms of beats and like what is present and absent in each of them. And it's really cool. Um, obviously, I can't say enough about Loud. Go listen to it. But um so like I think that this is where the boundaries between like experimentation and growth and innovation versus like culturally stripping and appropriative get really massively blurry for me. Um, because I don't think it's wrong for producers to like innovate and expand upon beats that they grew up surrounded by, right? Like reggaeton was like the music of Latin American youth culture. So these kids are taking what they know and working from there, right? And mm-hmm. it's just that, like, what ends up succeeding and the level to which it ends up succeeding can't be divorced from, like, the systemic nature of white supremacy. So, like, yeah. the fact that labels are owned and operated largely by wealthy white people, like, within and outside of Latin America, the fact that, like, what pierces into the mainstream is facilitated and filtered through the biases of these people mm-hmm. who hold a lot of power in shaping what gets heard and what doesn't. Um, and then the biases of, like, society at large, right, that has been imbued with white supremacist values and, like, racism and classism is just, like, the water that we swim in. So all of these things get, like, pulled together, right? And so, mm-hmm. like, what comes out is this sound that, like, it wouldn't be wrong to say is, like, stripped from, stripped of a lot of what made it black and what made it, like, from the context that it came out of, which was, like... Puerto Rico, the projects, you know, Los Caserios, et cetera, right? Yeah. Um, so this comes out, you know, Despacito, and it's not exactly that, right? Daddy Yankee's Daddy Yankee. Mm-hmm. But here he is collaborating with Luis Fonsi, who's also Puerto Rican, right? Like mm-hmm. not part of like the Medellin sound, but like that's just sort of like the context of like what's happening in music at the time. And, um, but like in 2005, Luis Fonsi would not have been caught dead working with Daddy Yankee, right? right? Like, Luis Fonsi is a regular, regular pop crooner who mm-hmm. would not have come near reggaeton back then. Like, mm-hmm. it was, like, way too black, way too hood, way too, like, not Luis Fonsi, right? right? Um, but in 2017, like, with stars like Balvin and Maluma coming out of Colombia and making big waves and big money and pop reggaeton, it's, like, a different scene. So he's, like, bet let's make a song right and Mm -hmm. daddy yankee as we know is game for literally fucking whatever that's gonna make him some fucking money (laughs) it seems including the rnc (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, that's really interesting yeah i would love to like talk to Luis fonsi and be like admit it (laughs) you know admit it it. (laughs) gun to his head you never would have um okay so despacito was the first song to hit number one on the on the mainstream Billboard charts since Macarena in '95, and it remains one of three songs that have done that. La Bamba, the first Spanish language song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. La Bamba, Macarena, and um, Despacito, and nothing since. Yeah, and that's the one thing that I want to talk about later on about this wave is like one things that are different and things that are the same about like this particular wave of Latin booms is uh, the language thing. This time is different, right? Before it was like okay, like Latin artists need to speak English, and now Mm -hmm. they're like we're speaking Spanish, and you're listening Mm -hmm. to us however we come, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and Um, Justin Bieber like got made fun of, right, for like barely trying. 
to say yeah. like to say his lines correctly at like a concert or something, you know, like Right. He's jumping right, in. Right, because he and, recorded in Spanish, right? Cause, yeah. So, like, apparently Justin Bieber, like, heard it at a club somewhere, and I was like, okay, bet, let me hop onto this. Really? And wow. it, like, became, like, the song of the year, and it was, like, inescapable. The song was already a huge hit across Latin America. Like, I'd heard it. I, you know, mm-hmm. like, I'm a fan of Daddy Yankee. I love him for his early work. I have mostly tried to overlook his political dalliances, um, I love his little like pop explorations, you know, like, so when this first song first came out, I was like, okay, whatever. This is like a fun pop, whatever song. But then it just became so inescapable and so tied up with these like sort of like narratives that I was sort of taken back to that weird moment in the nineties and really grew to despise it. I definitely was at a wedding of a re- of really good friends, white friends that all listen to this podcast. Um, and the, we were at the dance portion of this wedding reception and Despacito comes on and my friends are like, this is for you. And I was like, oh, <laughs> like, like I love you guys and you're really, so you're really missing awkward. it right now. You're really missing it right now. You know, like that so. was like the one Latin song that they played like for me. Oh. I don't even, you know, like, so that's the kind oh, of Let's go back to Suavemente. Song. Like, I feel like we can just keep Suavemente. <laughs> I know, like, like that's not better. Replace. Yeah, I mean, I don't so I'm dislike, into this. <laughs> I don't dislike Despacito, but it's not a good song for dancing. You know, like yeah, no, I don't love it. Um, but I mean, what it did do though, the reason that we brought it and the reason that we're talking about it is because it opened up the floodgates for what would become another sort of boom moment around Latin music, which we are in right now, which we're experiencing the tail end of right now. You know, like the question is always, is this here to stay, right? And like the I think that, I don't know, I'm less interested in, like, whether Latino people or music or whatever get to be mainstream, and more, like, the question is, like, do we get to be humans who exist in this country along with everybody else in the mainstream, or are we, like, an occasional exotic treat for non-Latino Americans to explore and then forget about for a few years or decades, you know? Yeah. I think for me it's, like, do, can, like, Latinx musicians, like, make a living and a career for themselves in this context, you know? Like, can they do the music that I they mean, want to the do? I mean, the thing is, they don't need the American market to make a living. Yeah. The Latin American market is huge. They don't need it. They don't need Americans at all, really. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that, because, like, I feel like the, the American music industry has a huge impact even on Latin America, you know? And so... um it does, but people are huge, like incredibly wealthy, powerful artists that like most Americans have never heard about. Right. You know, but like that I've never right. crossed. But into if the I'm thinking about because, right. If I'm thinking about Latin artists in the US, like if you're a Latino in the US and you want to have a music career, you need the music the US music industry. I mean now the like Latin um, audience is changing that, right? I'm like in terms sort of, of who you have right? to be palatable but, I mean, to. But. Like I think that a lot of Latin music Latin musicians in the U.S. also just decide to target the like Latin audiences in Latin America, right? America. Like, would I mean, I would say that like you know, like Mark Anthony and La India, and um, you know, like Proyecto Uno, like they're all Americans. They're all from New York, and they targeted like Latin American audiences. And right. some of them live in the United States, but like you know, they didn't need to pierce into like the mainstream American culture right. to make it you that's know fair. that's fair well let's take a listen to a song that i like a lot more um 
and um, is also part of sort of this boom moment. Um, this is I Like It, and it's by Cardi B featuring Bad Bunny and J Balvin. I like shining, I like million dollar deals, where's my pen, bitch I'm signing I like those Balenciagas, the ones that look like socks I like going to the Tula, I put rocks all in my watch I like sexes from my exes when they want a second chance I like proving niggas wrong, I do what they say I can They call me Cardi, Cardi, banging body, spicy mommy, hot tamale Hotter than a Somali, fur, go, Hop up the stool, jump in the coop Big dip on top of the roof Flexing on bitches as hard as I can Eating halal, driving a lamb So that bitch, I'm sorry though Got my coins like Mario Yeah, they call me Cardi B I run this shit like Cardi Diamond district in the chain So here again, I think there's this interesting dynamic where this boom relies on songs from like previous boom moments, right? Like the Estefans coming in to help Shakira. Um, this song is like it's sort of a reworking of I Like That um, from uh, the Mambo Craze. You know, mm-hmm. Pete Rodriguez, I like that from the Mambo Craze of the 1950s, which we talked about um, mm-hmm. in the last episode. So, um, yeah, I, I think that people don't realize how much of a gamble this was for Cardi B. Um, right. I think first because she's like directly placing herself within the context of Latina, like as a Latina, which is no small feat for a black woman, mm-hmm. especially one that came up through hip hop. Um, you know, two, because she brought on two performers who, while like at the time were huge in Latin America, had very little name recognition outside Latino communities in the United States. Mm-hmm. And Cardi was a huge mainstream artist who, even though, yes, she was huge and yes, she was mainstream, she was on the rise and she was putting on her first album, right? So this was like the album that was going to decide whether she was like just a blip in pop history or like the monumental force that she like clearly became, right? And the risk paid off, right? And Cardi is super smart, super strategic, saw the big picture, and the risk paid off, right? Because this was huge, right? Like, just as, like, sort of Despacito had been having its moment, um, then this came out, and, um, you know, it all sort of worked out to create this, like, continue this narrative around, uh, like, the current, like, Latin boom. Yeah. And I will say that the, um, as you just pointed out, like, the the Billboard 100, like, top 100 list that I'm referring to is one specifically of, like, Latin songs primarily in Spanish. But if you look at, like, the, just the top 100, just the, like, I'm looking at now, like, 
what songs were number one on the Billboard 100 in 2018, and I like it was number one for like a long yeah. time. So yeah. there's and like uh, another piece of it's like yeah they're not they're not crossing over by singing predominantly in Spanish, but they're still like that had very Latin rhythms to it, you know. Yeah, and like Bad Bunny was like I mean there's a little bit of English happening. There was mostly Spanish, right? Like, yeah. um. Balvin also mostly Spanish, right? So it's like, and Cardi is rapping in English, some Spanish, but you know, so it's like a very like mixed language mm-hmm. thing. And I think that like, that's one of the things that feels really different from like this, you know, quote unquote boom. And the last one, which is like, you know, like a lot of these songs are in Spanish or there's a lot of Spanish in them. Right. And mm-hmm. like, that's one thing that I feel that feels really different about this one is that like, you know, like Bad Bunny famously refused to do English language shit. He was like, bitch, you cross to me. You cross over to me. Right. Like, mm-hmm. which is a huge shift in dynamics and not without any risk. Right. But like now Bad Bunny is like the top streaming artist in the world for like a few <laughs> years running. Right. And yeah, it, it did out. not seem to be the obvious path. Right. Yeah. For that. But like, you know, it's something that's different from before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. And like, you know, looking at this, I'm looking at this list of sort of all of the songs that were 100 on, were number one in different years. And like in the years surrounding 2017, there aren't any Latin artists or almost none. Um, Mm -hmm. And then in 2017, you've got this, I like it. And you've got Havana, the Camila Cabello song, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's still, it's still a big deal, right. To be a Latin artist and, and especially singing songs that are like, you know, I don't know what it was like, clearly Latin in some way. I mean, she's talking about Havana. It's like the, the, the beats yeah, of that song. Yeah, use Latin rhythms in some yeah, way. Yeah, Latin rhythms, right. And so um, it's, it's, yeah, it's still no small feat to get to that point, even when you're singing um, not predominantly in Spanish, you know? Yeah, and I mean, so in like the last episode, we defined a Latin boom as like this sort of like wave of Latin rhythms gaining popularity among what's considered like the mainstream of the United States. And with that definition sort of being impossible to separate from race and racialization in the U.S., right, from like who's considered the mainstream to what kinds of Latin rhythms are performed and by whom, you know. Uh, So like up until now, piercing the mainstream has meant like getting the attention of white Americans, right? Mm -hmm. And what this usually has meant in most of these booms has been taking a Latin style, often often an Afro-Latino musical style and like stripping it of its roots in order to sanitize it for popularization, like in this white mainstream and like, you know, while still being able to exoticize Latino people, right? So like... We see some of those dynamics here and we see some different ones, right? Like we do see white or lighter performers favored, but we also see performers like Cardi, right? Who are Mm -hmm. like unapologetically black Mm -hmm. and um, Latina, you know, like this is still the minority, right? Like the industry still favors whiteness overwhelmingly and like for black women rising to prominence is like nearly impossible I would say like Mm. Cardi entered the mainstream through hip-hop right remember not like Latin music so she just like claimed her place there too she just like elbowed her her way and was like bitch I'm here too yeah but like you know and we still see like this sort of like sanitized Latin rhythm tradition right like reggaeton that's way more poppy like whose beats are way more pared down like lyrics that are way less dirty less sexual you know like grandma's dance to reggaeton now right like (laughs) that was a hell no before (laughs) Oh, you're gonna be that grandma someday. <laughs> I guess maybe not. You're not gonna have kids, I mean, but you'll be that's the because Tiawa I was that. a grandma that grew up with Daddy Yankee. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, 
anyway, like there's like the language shift and like, you know, but like this, there is some stuff that's different, right? Like the language shift, like there's like the current like shift in political context, right? And I'm thinking like, you know, in which people are demanding a lot more from the industry, right? Like from artists, from labels, people are looking at political uprisings, like, um, you know, the uprisings around the murders of George Floyd and police violence and thinking about how to apply that to the music industry and not, they're not keeping those things separate, right? Like they're thinking about like, okay, if racism is systemic and anti-blackness is systemic, how is this affecting our culture. And I think that that's really dope and the exact right questions to be asking. And that's something that feels a little bit different also about this moment is that we've, um, are also like in the midst of, um, these ongoing racial justice uprisings and people are connecting them to, to, to culture in a really sort of mainstream way that, um, you know, has been, it has been present always, right? Like people mm-hmm. have always um, thought about music and culture to, and politics altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that it's happening in a different way um, and um, in a louder, the, a way that feels louder yeah. uh, to me now. Yeah, I think that's true. And like, if I look at the, like the, the number ones since 2017, like the only people that you see are Cardi B and Mariah Carey, who like you know, no nobody really considers her a Latin artist. I don't think she considers herself that either. But we mm-hmm. we count her because Veto is a big fan of her, um, and she does have a Afro Venezuelan parent. But so you know, it's not like I think this question of like is the moment over? Not that this is the only measure of the moment, but it's one measure of it. Um, right, right, like. Uh- you know, um, Bad Bunny is the most streamed artist mm-hmm. on Spotify globally. But like, is that just global? Is that like, you know, like, is it dying down in the United States? Like, well, or yeah. like the question that you keep asking, which yeah. is like, how big does the Latino audience in the United States need to be to become the mainstream? Yeah, where you know, to no start affecting matters. like yeah. what gets on the charts. Yeah, what people are listening to. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting. In twenty twenty two, the song, the only song besides Mariah Carey, on this list that's made it to number one is We Don't Talk About Bruno, which is a song from Encanto. Mm, see? Is, and I don't yeah. feel like that movie being made in that way is necessarily separate from this, like, sort of, like, no. Latin boom, like, rise, you know, like, the, this mm-hmm. context. I feel like it's all connected, right? Like, how long are those movies in production, right? Like, is mm-hmm. maybe is it, like, Despacito come out and I like it come out and these execs are like, okay, let's make a Latino movie and then a few mm-hmm. years later it comes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Manuel Miranda and the way in which he's like also made space for like Latino mm, stories mm-hmm. and Latino. I mean, it's complicated, right? It's complicated, but um, in Broadway and all sorts of things. And so yeah, and how that like yeah. feeds the, the film industry. Um, but yeah, I think that for me, it's sort of, I think I do care more about when the, the audience is big enough that it doesn't really matter whether yeah, like, white yeah, Americans I are think... paying attention for it, for people to be able to have success in the U.S., you know? Right, for sure. I think that, like, for me, I care much less about being a part of the mainstream that's centered around white consumers and, like, a lot more around, like, yeah, like, do we get to exist in this place without having to perform being exotic, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And do we get to, like, make culture that is seen as valid outside of a trope for who Latino people are? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at the population statistics, 
it doubled the popu- U.S. Latino population doubled between 1980 and 2015. So you know, yeah. going from like less than five percent to 11.5 percent. So you know, that's a much bigger stake um, in the in the market and a much bigger audience to drive trends on its own. You know. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, thanks for guiding us along on this. This. Yeah, it was really fun to to think about all of these, how these things come together and culturally and politically and Mm -hmm. all that. For sure. All right. Well, that is it for the week. Thank you all so much for listening to this very research heavy episode. Um, We hope that you enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks so much, y'all. As always, all the information about the songs we brought are in the show notes at RadioManea.com. Uh, make sure you're following us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and our newsletter. And thanks to Mike De for editing our show. All right, y'all. Thank you so much. Hasta la próxima. Bye.